Oh, kia ora koutou whanau. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation brought to you by Stratus, the most affordable alternative to smoking. If you want to find out more about Stratus, head to vaporium.nz. It's designed for people looking for a less harmful alternative to smoking. The Stratus is a cost-effective device for anyone looking to step away from old habits. So if you're a smoker, if you know a smoker, uh, gosh, if you uh, want to stop kissing a smoker, then you should head to vaporium.nz and check out the Stratus, and it may just help you get there it's designed with some nicotine in the pods so it can kind of stave off those nicotine uh, cravings whilst moving people off cigarettes it's a great uh, product to help people get off smoking um, okay then uh, so I've been looking forward to this podcast for a really 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 long time actually uh, Michelle Acourt is um, she's a legend in the New Zealand media landscape she's kind of been there done that with almost everything I remember her from way back in the what nowadays. In fact, we talk a little bit about that in this podcast. Let me just say as well, the end of this podcast is truncated quite a bit. Uh, we had a technical difficulty at the end. Um, we were losing Michelle and her um, connection. So it does truncate quite quickly in the end, but it is a complete podcast and we do get through a good 45 minutes of conversation. So enjoy it. Have a good time. Here is for you, Michelle Aikert. And we are live with Michelle Acourt. Hi, Michelle. Kia ora, how are you? Hi. <laughs> I like that. You must watch. You must watch John Oliver, eh? The last week tonight. I love He's that. In his sad, sad, lonely, empty white space. I love that part of his opening graphics when it does the kind of really serious spin around his body, and then at the end of it, he looks over his shoulder and he waves like this, like it's very unserious. It's very funny. <laughs> hey, thanks. He's fabulous. Yeah, I really enjoyed. Really I'm sorry, I'm already starting talking. I've really enjoyed watching him during lockdown because um, performing comedy without a live audience is so horrific. Um, but I'm starting to get used to it because of his show. Um, right. You know, the, the first couple of episodes of him with no live audience, um, was it felt really clunky and awkward. And I kept imagining what it would be like with a live audience. But now, a few weeks later, I'm watching it and going, "Oh no, this is fine. I can I can handle this." Well, yeah. just on the comedy thing, you uh, I saw on your Facebook page. I think you guys had a had a set last week, like on the twenty second. <gasps> were there was there some performing going on at the comedy? Yeah, the club opened again on Friday night, and I was on on Saturday night. So Scott Blanks, who owns the Classic, did a really good job before lockdown of. Um, it's it rejigging the club um, for social distancing. So instead right. of seating 120, it now seats 70. Tables are two metres apart from each other. People are seated in groups of people they know. No more you know, here. You two spare yeah, people yeah. come and sit with these. So bubble people. tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and so totally possible to um, to run the club. So it was amazing actually. Um, I did the second to last gig before lockdown at the Classic, and that felt great, but also scary. You like you didn't know if you were doing the right thing or the wrong thing <laughs> at that point. Being in a room full of people, that was the Friday night before we went into lockdown level four on Wednesday, the following Wednesday right, that right, night. Right. Yeah. yeah, so it felt like a last hurrah, and it felt great. It felt a bit fucking dodgy oh much sorry I shouldn't think um felt dodgy all of those things anyway so this was the second night that the club was open on the other side of all of this and it was like stepping out of a fog <laughs> and 
yeah, I suddenly felt my brain kind of un, my brain feels like it's been in paralysis for about eight weeks. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was like defrosting or something. And the room was so full of this beautiful energy of people who were brave enough. You know, a lot of people are still really anxious about leaving the house yeah. and being in, in, in contact with other humans. So obviously you're getting people coming to the club who are less anxious about that kind of thing. Um, Which must mean it's a good, so it's a, it's a, must mean it's a good crew then. It's a good audience. If they're the ones that are really keen to get out, they'd be the ones Absolutely. that are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, no, there were a couple of times where they were laughing at at, uh, at lines where I was thinking, yeah, that doesn't deserve that kind of laugh, yeah. <laughs> you're exaggerating. When you said defrosting, it makes complete sense as the kind of de-thawing, de-icing, but all I could think was licking the icing off a cake. That would be defrosting as well. That was what I... Yeah. I like that too. Jump, I like that. Jumped into my mind. Um, I've, I, I, I mean, like, obviously, coronavirus is going to come up in this conversation, and it's been all the way because I've been really busy. I've probably done twenty-five podcasts during lockdown because we can do this and everyone's home. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's. I've always been kind of touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. And I was kind of going, you know, coming out of level four, I'd rather stay in for a little bit longer to make sure than come out too early. But it seems to have, touch wood, worked or be working. Because when we came out of level four, I was like, I'm nervous. I wait two weeks and that'll be the incubation period for level three. And at the end of level three, we're kind of like, oh. And then like, well, level two, I'm nervous. Let's wait for a couple of weeks because there's the incubation period again. And now yesterday, was it yesterday? One active case in the country. I and I and I I assume that's actually accurate because I was talking to a mate last night and I was like, Mah. you know, there could be the, the the incubators or there could be the people who are asymptomatic. But then I thought, hang on, but if they were in the country, they'd be infecting other people. So the numbers would be going up again and it hasn't. And I'm just like Wow, uh, is this really going to happen? I'm, I'm, I'm in my fog is kind of going. It feels a bit like a movie script, and so in my movie script, as with any Hollywood movie, in about a week's time, actually the zombie apocalypse is coming and taking over because we got so close, but we never quite made it. So it's it's a really weird feeling. Yeah, yeah, it is a weird feeling. I do feel like I mean I know there are a lot of commentators saying get to level one now, and I'm still on the side of I'm usually quite a risk takey kind of person but I'm still on the side of no let's let's unlock this really slowly let's reduce any chance that we might go back yeah. to level four because I think that would be really difficult to enforce yeah. and really damaging to people's psyches as well as the economy um so the, the the idea of coming out of this as slowly as we can with as good a plan as we can still appeals to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've discovered I'm quite compliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. I was, I yeah. was, I mean, because it was like we had David Clark down here, bless his cotton socks, go out to the beach, oh, yeah. you know, the whole ministry, minister of, of health breaking the rules. And I was saying to, uh, like, friends and family and my kids, I'm like, you know what, David Clark going to the beach is going to, it's not risky at all, actually. It's going to do nothing. But the problem is if everyone went to the beach, that's yeah. when it happened. So I've been kind of like, like during lockdown, um, my kids stayed with their mum for the full four weeks. And I'm like, but we're neighbours, so it's easy. So I was sitting in the driveway, so hanging out with my kids. Um, so I was kind of going, 
you know, parents and kids going backwards and forwards is pretty much fine and it's safe and you're allowed to do it. But if everyone did it, there's more of a chance of transmission. So for those four weeks, I, like you, was very compliant. And I was on, I was working at ZB, I think, whatever it was, 2010, if that was H1N1, SARS, Bird Flu, whichever one it was. And mm. I remember doing a Sunday night show, not taking the piss out of it, but kind of going, look, these headlines on CNN, you know, world could be, and I was like, I think they're exaggerating. But this has felt different. This has felt like they're not exaggerating, for, for me at yeah. least. Maybe it's, it's maybe because I'm getting older. Um, it's felt a bit different, and it was a, it was a bit scarier. And so, yeah, I, I was very compliant as well and perfectly happy to, to stay in that, uh, he, not heavy-handed, but in that more strict conditions for longer yeah. if necessary. And God, doesn't it feel like it's paid off? Already I'm starting to read international news stories and having to remind myself that they're all still in lockdown. They're mm. still in the, the really heavy, tight lockdown that we have moved away from. And they're in a different world from us yeah. already that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at um, stuff on the news and stuff that I'm reading and going, oh, yeah, you guys are still staying in place. You're still yeah. at home. Um, yeah, yeah. So we've done a remarkable job. So aside from the 22 families so appallingly affected by those 22 deaths, we have as a nation dodged a bullet in an extraordinary way. And I just kind of feel, for me it feels a little bit like even opening the border with Australia. If you look at Australia's numbers, they're actually comparable. I think they had 100 deaths. We had 20 deaths. So they're five times our size. So it's actually they've actually kind of done as well as we have. But I still kind of go... It's a bit like during that hard breakdown period or lockdown period, I should say. As I went, it'd probably be okay, but I'd rather err on the side of caution. And I think for this, um, if we could, oh, it's even hard. Honestly, I feel I find it hard to say because I, I sort of want to believe it, but don't want to, don't want to jinx it. You know how sports fans think that they can affect the outcome of the sporting game by the kind of undies they wear or where they sit in the stand. Yeah. Sort of feels like yeah. that. I don't. I don't. I don't want to be the reason it fails by jinxing it, but if it is possible, if it is possible to get there, zero cases. I'm like, okay, it's like that old eighty, the joke in the eighties. You know, the last one out of New Zealand turned the lights off. It's like we'll just lock up the borders and the, and, and we'll just stay like this for the next twelve months and and, you know, do things like tour around New Zealand yeah. and I yeah. saw I saw a friend. Oh, sorry. No, you carry on. I just know I saw a friend of mine, oh. friend of mine, had gone down to Taranaki this weekend from Auckland, doing that sort of thing. You know, time to get out and see see the place and spending the weekend in Taranaki and having some fun. Yeah, we're kind of lucky because we've been touring for the last thirty or forty years. That I, <laughs> there is nowhere in New Zealand I haven't been to right. yet. Um, I can highly recommend Reefton. Go do that. Um, so you know, I like, like I hear people going, "We're going to go to the west coast of the South Island." Um, is there another west coast? I don't think so. Uh, for the first time, and I'm like, "Oh, good, enjoy. It's fantastic. Don't forget to um, go visit the graveyard in Hokitika. It's yeah. amazing." Yeah. Um, what I'm hoping for is uh, Rarotonga, the Cook Islands, have had no cases of right. at all ever. So I'm hoping that there'll be a um, a pathway from New Zealand to Rarotonga. They need us. They need us to go and spend some New Zealand dollars uh, in their economy. It's one of my favourite places. <laughs> so I'd be happy with that. Australia can get in the far queue for a wee while. <laughs> they're still having massive flare-ups in odd places that they can't trace. So 
nah, not so much. And, and yeah. that's what we saw. It might have been Singapore, but one or two of those countries in the Asian region that got onto it really quickly when they opened up, they had some flare-ups. And it seems that, again, gosh, it sounds really weird. I feel like I'm the most, I feel like the cowardly lion. I just don't want to jinx it. But it feels like we've got so far down the track, it's almost, we're almost at a stage that you can't have a flare-up. I mean, if there is only one active case, that means from now on, if that's accurate, the only cases we're going to have are going to be coming off planes, if, it, if yeah. any, and they're all going to be in lockdown for two weeks. And that makes it feel like, hey, New Zealand, we're back. Yeah. And I know long term that means that we might have to keep our borders closed for a really long time. Yeah. And people are going, wow, 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 herd immunity. We still don't know if the after having this virus, you do have immunity for any reasonable period of time. So... Yeah, I think we I think we sit tight um, and learn to do some diff- some things differently, which would be great. I'll see if I can show you this. I bought it. I saw a graphic on New York Times. Yeah, I have. Let me bring this up. Check this out. Um, this is from the New York Times, right? Yeah. And this one on the left hand side, everyone can see this. So you and me are seeing all this, and everyone's seeing it with us. Uh, this graphic okay. on the left hand side says at least sixty percent of the population needs to have it to be herd immunity, and then yep. they show what New Yorkers what London is, what Madrid is, what Wuhan is, what Boston is, what Stockholm is, which is a place looking for herd immunity, and what Barcelona is. So this is what we need. And even the places that have been really badly affected, this is what they've got. So it feels like what they're kind of saying is herd immunity, well, they're not saying this, but what I'm drawing from it might be a bit of a pipe dream, actually, because those places that have got it really badly are nowhere near, you know, the numbers they need to have herd immunity anyway. Yeah, and my God, the price is so high. The price is just so high, right? Well, that was yeah. a, the, the thing that they... Was it Sweden that didn't lock down properly? And so they've lost kind of 20 times what their neighbours have and it was just released last week that basically their GDP has been affected in exactly the same way. So basically yeah. a ton of people died um, and they didn't do what, uh, you know, people like Trump are saying we should be doing by opening up and keeping the economy going. The economy still basically crashed and they lost yeah. a, a shit ton more of their um, elderly people. Didn't seem like a good yeah. result to me. No, not so much. And, you know, the the psychological fallout of that number of deaths is also massive, you know, in terms of anxiety and depression and all other grief-related things. Yeah. Um, and that affects the economy as well. So, no, I think we've, we've done really well. I'm really I'm very pleased to be in this country right yeah. now. Yeah, I am getting a little bit sick of the knockers. Um, and only because, and and I've used this example about five times during this podcast, so people listening or watching will be sick of it, but the, 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 um, the perspective I've had is kind of thinking of us having two columns. There's the good choices column and there's the bad choices column. So acknowledging that there's no perfect outcome, we take as many decisions from the good choices column and as few from the bad choices column, acknowledging that we are going to take some. And and I'm like, I feel like that's what we've done. And acknowledging it can't be perfect, knockers, you can just kind of shut the fuck up and let us get back to some kind of normality, please. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. And I appreciate that it's um, uh, columnists need to be <laughs> advocates and we need to, as the fourth estate, hold the government to account yep. and la, 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 la. But, you know, also... Shut up! We're doing great. They can't go out for dinner in Australia, and we're allowed to. So, but you also you also read the room, and I mean that's what Bridges didn't do well with that infamous post. He didn't read the room well, 
and um, his own supporters told him that. And this would seem to me to be one of those times, and again, I've, I've, I've said this before, I remember Don Brash saying that the only party he couldn't work with was Labour. And I thought as a voter, I'm like, that's pretty fucked, because actually I want the, I want the best possible outcome for my country and my politician. So if there was a way that you could work with them, even if they're opposition, then you should. And this would yeah. seem to be the time that actual a, a, a healthy democracy needs a, a good opposition to hold the, um, the, you know, the government's feet to the fire. Completely accept that. But this seems to be the time that the best use of the opposition would have been kind of supporting the government and working together rather than thinking, oh, four months away, there's an election. We better get our talking points in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess what surprised me in this last week with Muller is that I had always imagined uh, that if I was, if you're in opposition, every time the government does a thing, you would think, what would I do if yeah. that were me? Yeah. What would my plan be? And um, and they don't seem to have been doing that. I don't know what they've been doing. I guess they've been so busy rolling bridges that they haven't been able to respond to anything. Like, I mean, like presenting an alternative budget, presenting. Mm. Um, an alternative to, you know, there's almost nothing there. So that Muller has has spent all week either justifying his appalling top 12 um, <laughs> and, or talking about a, his souvenir hat. Somebody who's supposed to be really into American politics, passionate, fascinated by American politics and doesn't understand the symbolism of a red mega hat yeah. beyond me. Um, but certainly no plan at all. Nothing, oh, we'll tell you about that later. No, tell us about it now, mate. Mm. I don't know why you decided that you would be a terrific leader without actually, you know, show your workings. <laughs> Gosh, how much do I remember that from school? Someone who loves yeah, yeah. someone who loves, loves maths and what's 8 out of 10 cats does countdowns and does all the sums in my head constantly being told by teachers to show me workings um yeah and look i i the, the he's putting himself forward as the alternative the the better choice from his perspective but like you say the thing jacinda did well when uh she became leader is in the first press conference she had they actually asked her questions and she said i don't know but she said give me 72 hours and I'll have all those answers for you. She goes, look, the truth is I'm just in the seat. Give me 72 hours and I'll give you all those answers. And I th I think basically she did. But whereas it seems that maybe there's not even that plan. I mean, the Jack Tame situation where he was asked, how much would you spend? And there was no answer. That was a tad more than awkward because that's the obvious suggestion. Uh, that's the obvious suggestion on question always is if you say, that they're not spending enough, how much would you spend? If they're spending too much, how much would you spend? It's an obvious question yeah. to ask. And and like, if, if it's too much, what would you be cutting? If it's not enough, where would you be adding funds? It's it's There's a logical conclusion to that questioning. And yeah, yeah. To, to not to not even be able to come up with something there was a was a bit a bit sad for him. But, you know, uh, I, I guess yeah, I, we'll see. He's about the same age as me. I, somebody on Twitter said yesterday that, the National Party wants you to vote for Daddy. You know, like he's this kind of patriarchal, safe hands, right. um, the the dude you can trust. But to me, he looks like the the kind of old dinosaur that um, a bunch of my friends divorced fifteen years ago. <laughs> so he's got he's got almost no appeal for me. And there's just something very uncomfortable about. Um, 
I don't know, that first press conference with Amy Adams and Nikki uh, Nikki Kay on either side and then a bunch of women, uh, Judith Collins, um, it just, it was so handmaidenly. Right. I don't know. They were, it's trotting out. Here are the ladies who will be silent. Yeah. And yeah. here's the man doing all the talking. Yeah, look, I've and been I, I've been watching that Jeffrey. Ep- now I make this clear: I'm not equating Jeffrey Epstein to any other person, but I happen to be watching that Jeffrey uh, Epstein documentary that's just come up on Netflix. Terrifying documentary. But one of the things I noticed, and maybe it was because I was in that mindset of obviously there's a fair bit about the Me Too movement and stuff in that documentary. And I, the, I and it's funny how you would say that because I was thinking there's a moment where. Uh, there are three people in a room, um, and they're lawyers, and there was a good result that came in for them for the victims of uh, Epstein. And the older lawyer, who was 60, obviously a, a fantastic man because he's fighting for these victims, but they get a good decision made that way. He tells the two people, the woman comes over to him, and he puts her arms around her, and he gives her a kiss on the cheek, like a congratulatory thing, and he just kind of went to the guy. And I'm just like, well, it's a, it's a funny dynamic when kind of men take that position of, you know, touch, hold, feel, kiss, female, quiet, background, whatever, male, not. Yeah. So so I'll make it clear, I'm not comparing anyone to Epstein, but that moment in that documentary it reminds me of what you've just said about the handmaiden standing in the background. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it makes your skin, makes my skin automatically crawl when I see that kind of shush, shush, ladies. And somebody else made, the, you know, the point that I think we all absorbed at some subconscious level that all the male politicians bring in their wives as um, examples of support and he's a good man and, you know, decent and ah, all of those things. The women never have a partner um, standing beside them, very rarely have a partner standing beside them. And if they do, you know, if, um, uh, if our prime minister's partner and kid turn up photo shoot, rah, you yeah. know, people go crazy. It's, yeah, so, I don't know. There's um, there's a lot to unpack in all of that, really. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting, though. I, I also, I've, I've got a request in with Todd Muller's office to obviously do a podcast because it's big news at the moment, and uh, I suspect they won't see this, but if they did, one of the things I was going to ask Simon Bridges, and I will also ask him, is no matter the quality of this individual as a politician or a potential prime minister, I wonder if it's a bit of a Frano Bodica moment um, or a, or a um, Aaron Cruden moment. You know, there's these fantastic first fives that would be first fives on any other international team in the world, but they just happen to have Grant Fox and Dan Carter in front of them. So they never actually got to that post. And I wonder at the moment with the polls if, if Jacinda is in that kind of Dan Carter, Grant Fox situation, and no matter who comes up against them whether they're amazing or not there's just not a chance this election coming around i know it is a, a week's a long time in politics but it just seems to seems to be a cakewalk actually yeah and i i mean sports metaphors are not all that good for me <laughs> but i know what you're talking about but also why would you why would you say no to an extraordinary woman and replace her with a mediocre man. Why would anybody do that? I mean, she is remarkable. We have not seen the like of her, not just in this country, but in 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 leadership in the world currently and for a long time. Why would you ever say no to an extraordinary woman and replace her with a meh 
Guy. Well, I, for Talent. me, for me, it's not even about the meh guy because I actually don't know too much about Todd Muller at all. He might be an amazing human being, but you've got a prime minister at the moment who has had a baby during her first term, which I think is the most amazing thing. Had a um, a natural disaster, had a um, had a massacre, and had a pandemic. You know, and yeah. has come out as one of the highest rated. I think there's a little bit of conjecture over some of the headlines. I was listening to Media Watch last weekend on RNZ. There's a little bit of conjecture yeah. over, is she indeed the most highest profile? Because it depends on what poll you look at. But whichever way, it seems to me that at the moment, four months out, acknowledging it's a long way, the only question that people are really asking at the moment is, will they break 50% or not? And that yeah. seems to be the driving question as to going into the election. And I'm someone who obviously is um, on the left side of politics. I don't particularly... Um, uh, have a party per se like I'm not a Labour supporter or a Green supporter I you know, weigh it up and look around and, and I can vote centrist as well um, but there's a part of me which just would love to see this as a sociological experiment you know, to see what MMP would look like with a party having a majority which we've never seen, would it be a, a good experiment for the country, would it be bad I, I'm, I'm interested in how that would pan out Sure yeah, yeah. What I'm most interested in is having a, I would love a Labour Green coalition um, without New Zealand First. Right. And I know that there are a lot of people who think that New Zealand First is a useful handbrake um, on on this government. And I believe the opposite. Like I think we could, this is a, a moment where we could make some massive changes. And I, I feel like the, the stuff that hasn't been delivered by this government in terms of dealing with um, poverty and, um, and the distribution of wealth, you know, the capital gains tax, the inability to get the housing stuff off the ground. There's a whole lot of stuff, the clean water stuff that has mm -hmm. just come through this week. There's a whole lot of stuff that would have gone further without New Zealand First putting the handbrake on. And I appreciate that not everybody feels like I do, but I would like some radical change going on in the country right now. I feel like this is a time when because of COVID-19, the whole structure, we've learned that all the structures are really fragile. Um, I, I mean, I'm stunned at how many businesses couldn't survive four weeks of no no business. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so we've we've discovered that this, the structures, the systems are very fragile. We've got an opportunity to redesign, to rejig, to make some brave choices about what we um, income inequality and gender inequality and racism and we you know it's like everything is in a state of flux and we can rebuild the way that we want to so let's go wild let's mm. go i would love that and i think you can't do that with new zealand first because they will constantly be the handbrake on major radical change. The the term handbrake is often used probably as a as a positive sometimes in politics. It sounds like what you're saying is more anchor than handbrake. Yeah. Yeah. Well I just think they have stopped this government doing some of the things that it dearly wanted to do. Right. And yeah. But, um so without that, Yahoo. I think I've right. always believed and I think the research and stats back it up is that most Western countries are left wing anyway. If you actually asked every person in the country, 
based on uh, the policy, what they would back. I mean, the, the, it's easy to look at America. Since 1994, the right has only won the popular vote once. You know, so it, it's a left-wing country, and I think that um, the right are more organised and are better at playing and doing politics. And I don't mean playing like they're playing games, like just following the rules and yeah. getting together. And um, and the left is typically where you have uh, the vote being suppressed. And I'm, and I'm not saying actively voter suppression, but uh, not not as actively involved, don't care as much. You might say lazier on some levels. And if everyone did vote and everyone could vote, then I think most countries would be left wing. So to have a government that could actually be a genuine left wing government. Yeah, I guess for me, I think it, I don't think it's going to impact me that much personally, one way or the other. Um, and whilst acknowledging I do sit on the left, I think that would be it. it would be an interesting dynamic to see how that would pan out for the country. Yeah. Yeah, I found it really interesting. There was a sort of eyes wide open moment for me when I spend too much time on Twitter and <laughs> the the right I find quite noisy there. Um, I mean, the left is noisy too, but you would, I was stunned when that poll came out that said that 92% of New Zealanders thought that the government had handled COVID-19 the right way. Yeah. 92%. Bloody hell. And I, I, would, I had just spent days just reading about um, what a terrible, how the government had mishandled it and we'd either lock down too soon or too late or too hard or too soft or we need to be out now. Wow. 92%. Mm. That's incredible. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that gives you some political capital that you you could spend by making some tough calls and major changes, the ones that we need to deal with climate change and, um, and inequality. It seems that that often happens with the, um, you know, the commentary world. It's either the 5% on the far left or the 5% on the far right. That is where you get most of the commentary from. I mean, look at people. I, I saw some absolute twat talking the other day about the New Zealand left-wing mainstream media and someone went you know Mike Hosking, Sean Plunkett, um, Mark Richardson, Duncan Garner you know I just went through them all and said can yeah. you can and then they went John Campbell and I'm like okay so one maybe but but even that you know is that more kind of corporate capitalist than left-wing when it comes down to it so uh, it's just it, it, it's it seems that it's a nonsense kind of idea in New Zealand that we have a uh, if there is a bias, perhaps it's to, it's to the other side from the loudest voices, and the loudest voices don't tend to be representative of maybe let's not be let's say ninety percent, let's say the middle seventy to eighty percent of the country. And I, I mean, pe- different people have different feelings about Chappelle, but it's the for me it kind of reminds me of that Chappelle situation where there were a lot of people reviewing his comedy. Um, saying how terrible it is and it's awful and this is such 1950s comedy and stuff and they go to Rotten um, rot, rotten Tomatoes and there's a zero score from the credits and a 99% score from the audience and then he wins the Grammy three years in a row and I'm like, those people who are yeah. making, even if you agree or disagree with his content, they're not assessing the community around that's actually um, on, taking on board that content because they're loving it and it's about the same. Yeah. I mean, the country loved what the government did the commentators are like, you know, what about my tax breaks or whatever they've been saying? 
<laughs> I know. Yeah, and um, yeah, if you stick Tober O'Brien into your search on Twitter, you will get equal numbers of she's a Labour Party shill and she's a right-wing demon. You know, yeah. and that's actually, as a journalist, probably exactly what you want because it means that you're doing your job and holding power to account um, and you're pissing off the extremes at both ends. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. And that's what I, that's what I used to get on ZB all the time when I was working as a talkback host. One night I'd be a, a mouthpiece of Helen Clark and the next night I'd be, you know, a right-wing nutter. And I, it, like it would, I, it's like when you hear those people, you know, the whole term Nazi is thrown around a lot, who get called, uh, you know, uh, a... Um, you know, a Jewish Zion, Zionist in the morning and in the afternoon they get called a Nazi in the same day. And it's like, it's, this don't mean anything. You know, just, yeah. Anyway, it's ludicrous. Ludicrous. It's all mad. The whole thing's mad. I'm having a glass of soda water. Um, not quite as mad as Dunedin's, um, Dunedin's <laughs> new slogan, though. Have you seen this? Um, pretty good plan D. So, um, what were plans A, B, and C? Let me let me just say though, if I play this little video, right, you can see that. Okay. It's no. actually a very good idea because what they're saying is, you know, there's everything in Dunedin that you'll find anywhere in the world. So one of the examples for people who are listening is um, they're talking about going to Egypt, uh, that were built right. where pyramids were built four thousand years ago, and there's a picture of a man. Um, standing on top of a triangular-shaped mountain, saying our pyramids were much older than that, meaning come and see our landscape. You know, you don't have to see the pyramids. Come and see our landscape. It is, it's better than that sort of thing. Um, but but it's still, it's still saying you really want to do this, you can't. Yeah. So come and do this. So I don't think that's a good sell. So check this out, right? This was me this morning. I dropped one of my kids off to Port Chalmers. You tell me. You can see this photo, Michelle. Others who can't. Yeah. I took some photos on the side of the road. Oh, come on. Now work for me. We'll just go to that one then. Does that look like a plan D to you? No, that looks like a plan A. Does that look like a plan? For people who are listening, we're looking over the harbour from up Beautiful. above Port Chalmers. And I, I saw this this morning and it incensed me. So I actually stopped the car. This is literally today. So that's today in Dunedin. It incensed me that... I have to go and say to people, yeah, hear the birds in the background. This is what people are saying. Here's your plan D. And I'm like, yeah. fuck off. Yeah. It's, as you, it's a plan A. Exactly as you say, what they're saying to people is, there's at least three places better than us, but, you know, throw me a bone. I just, I this just. This is a bit like, it's a bit like what you want. It's not what you want. It's a bit like what you want. Have that. Nah. I think I think where they've missed the mark is, and I used to say this to international visitors when I lived in Auckland, it was like, you know, a four-hour drive from here, meaning Auckland, you can pretty much see or do anything that you can see or do anywhere in the world, whether it's, you know, a desert or a rainforest or surfing or skiing or deep-sea fishing or trout fishing, you know, all these things, and it's all real close. And I think that's what they've been trying to achieve. But all I've got to say is the, yeah. the whole Plan D thing is it's – people are saying, oh, there's been a mixed reaction. Yeah, there's been there's been the people who did it saying this is our idea, and there's been everyone else saying it's fucking the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. I think the mix of reactions was that shit and that's fucking shit. So <laughs> that's pretty much how that works. 
But I was um, I had I had Marama Davidson on a couple of weeks ago, and this is what we were talking about. Actually, we were saying once we're able to, you know, my my thing was for Air New Zealand. I had the slogan for Air New Zealand, which was, you know, can't do can't do Queensland, do Queenstown, can't do Fakatane, do France. I'm oh, no, can't do France, do Fakatane. You know, can't do uh, I don't know Wigan, do Wellington. Um, and it's sort of what we're now doing. Like I said, a mate of mine is up down in Taranaki this weekend from Auckland and uh, two weekends time I'm going up to Naseby with my kids spend a yeah. couple of days up there going to do the the um, dark sky tour because I want to go up and see the see the uh, the the stars with no light pollution um, yes. thinking about going to the west coast in the for a week in the holidays because you can get a camper van for 29 bucks a day at the moment if you get the right price sort of thing which is far cheaper than a motel or an Airbnb or anything so why not um, you do it yeah, so I think I think it's like we've talked about school today already and, and show you working. You know, you used to have two columns. There was like effort and there was attainment sort of thing. I think the yeah. eff, I think the effort is an A, but I think the actual mark, the score is certainly they can have the D. That's actually where the D should be for the people who have planned this sort of thing, in my opinion. <laughs> I agree with you. I reckon for two of them, there are two things that appeal to me as a way of getting people out into the country and one is to um people should be going to uh look for their whakapapa like my my whanau arrived in new zealand um in the 18th not what 19th century oh 1852 zachariah acourt arrived oh, cool. uh, from somerset to somerset to melbourne we're just we're actually we're actually just losing you a bit there mate um and uh like so yeah connection should be fine are we yeah. right now yeah we're back oh now. my internet connection is unstable oh duh. Okay. as long as the internet connection are not the life the life in general Oh, no, no, not life in general. No, it should be fine. Here we go. How's that? Anyway, go search where you, you where your family first arrived in New Zealand if you're Pākehā. Yep. Uh, um, go, and, go and work out. Are you? Oh, are you frozen now? Are we all good? Like I'm, South I'm, Island, I'm here. Just going from one cheese roll to the next. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that uh, discovery is is a good thing. Um, I was talking to my sister the other day, and maybe it's more our generation than this generation. But you know, everyone would leave school, do university, then head off to the UK and and do the working holiday. Yep. And there was that classic um, comment about you know someone would come back and be thirty and back in New Zealand and they'd kiss the Blarney Stone and they'd they'd seen you know St Peter's Cathedral and they'd been to the south of France, but they'd never seen the South Island. You know, and what you find in the South Island yeah. is people go, I've never been to Auckland, and it's quite a big number. So, yeah, this is the time. And hopefully not only will places like Maui campers and, you know, uh, various groups and that be dropping their prices, but also in New Zealand. I'm not sure about the prices there, but this would be the time to have, you know, break. We've, I talked to Marama about a break-even economy. You know, break-even, don't lose money, but break-even and allow people to get around the country and go to places yeah. they haven't been before. Yeah, and I, you know that might do something really nice for our interpersonal relations because uh, we find all the time touring that you you know 
you you're in I don't know I don't want to be rude about um we sport but you you chatting to somebody after a gig and they go so where are you from and you go Auckland and they go oh I'm sorry and you go <laughs> did you not enjoy Auckland and they go oh I've never been there but Daryl went and he said it was shit <laughs> so it would be really cool if people from wherever spent some time in Auckland you know when people say why do you live in Auckland and why do you like it it's because I live on the edge of a bush reserve surrounded by Tui and Kiriru and I have three beaches that I love to go to in easy distance from my house and I love the climate it's sorry a lot of people don't they think of Auckland as terrible traffic yep and wankers and Ponsonby and <laughs> we have both of those yeah but we have other stuff too so yeah I'm back in Auckland yeah. Um, three or four times a year, probably. I still really like it. I mean, I'm the kind of person, you know, you get people who leave. Or it's like an ex-smoker. The worst person to talk to about smoking is an ex-smoker because they're, you know, worst person to talk to about Auckland is someone who's left Auckland and how because all they'll say is how terrible it was. I still, I still like Auckland. I still enjoy it. I um, I I've said several times I could imagine going back if there was a reason to. I don't want to go back, but I wouldn't be one of those people that I'd never go back sort of thing because we lived out the white tax when we were last yeah. there as well, when we looked over the Monaco Harbour, um, you know, and it's beautiful. And, you know, I guess I, I was lucky that I either worked from home and doing this kind of, you know, up there when I was doing more radio, you work silly hours, so you're never in the rush hour traffic and maybe that's a luxury. But, yeah, no, I I, I, I do actually. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think that actually getting people to Auckland would be a great thing. I mean, people who have never been, it's a, gr- it's a great time yeah. to go. It's a great time to get out there. It's a beautiful city, you know. It's a lovely down around the viaduct and see some sights. And much like you can't, you can't see snow, uh, you can't see snow, snow-tipped hills? I can't think of the word. Mountains with snow in Auckland, so you need to travel for that. You also, you also can't, snow-capped, there you go. You also can't see, I don't know. Uh, the industry and the Sky Tower and the museum in Auckland from Christchurch. So go to Auckland and see that. You got to travel to see these things you can't see in your neck of yeah. the woods. So, yeah. yeah, very much. Yeah, I mean you don't have to go to Auckland. Yeah, swing by, have a cup of tea. I just think that if we're going to talk about this, that actually it could very easily turn into Auckland being left off the list, though. It could turn into everyone leaving Auckland to see the rest of the country, but it's perfectly valid to say the rest of the country should go check out Auckland as well. And Wellington. I love Wellington. I think I feel like Dunedin is like a slightly colder, far less windy, smaller version of Wellington. Um, and yeah. that's one of the things I like about Dunedin, because I love Wellington's probably, when we were moving, it was either going to probably be Wellington or or. Dunedin because they felt the same two sort of places so I love I, I love it people should travel and see the place the, the trip look go through the beehive the beehive is an amazing building go and check out some of the sites you haven't seen before yeah and Papa is amazing and yeah I I love Wellington I lived there for 12 years on and off and oh nice yeah it's one of my favorites I was going to talk to you yeah. as well about the the comedy yeah, and stuff it. the comedy and I stuff like, the thing I like about Wellington and no, you carry on. Yeah, I'm just. I think the connection's a little bit uh, uh, iffy at times. Sometimes, so I was going to talk to yeah. you about the the comedy you're doing, and I, I don't know if you've heard of um, heard of this uh, adventurer in America. Do you know the comedian Bert Kreischer? 
He's got a couple of Netflix specials at the moment, Bert Kreischer, and what he's decided to do is he's doing, let me bring it up on the screen here for you, he's doing uh, a drive-in comedy tour. So he's got around the social distancing by going to a whole bunch of locations that have drive-in theatres, and he's doing a drive-in comedy tour. And then, of course, your bubbles in your car it won't be the same immediacy reaction backwards and forwards with someone, you know, six feet away from you at a table. But I thought that's that's pretty ingenious. And what a what a yeah, what, what a clever way of, of getting around the problem of social distancing at the moment to have a stand up routine at a drive through. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I um I still so mm. A lot of comedians like to not be able to see the audience right. um, and really enjoy working in, for example, a theatre setting where there's no house light at all and you're just talking to black. Okay. I cannot fucking stand it. <laughs> and um, I need to be able to see somebody's face. And it doesn't have to be like, yeah, uh, first two rows, a little bit of house light, please, but just so that I can see some faces because otherwise I feel like I am painting in the dark um, and I, not every comedian feels like I do but I cannot bear not being able to see them it feels like making television and even you know when you're making television you are um, my goal is to see the camera operator's shoulders bounce up and down from laughter right. I just need um, to be able to read how it's going um, so but you know, maybe a drive-in is a is a good idea. Maybe if you you can have um, some kind of, I would need a microphone somewhere picking up the audience response. I would, yeah, yeah. It's otherwise I just, you know, I, the vision in my head is of um, the coyote. Is it was it the coyote chasing the wily um, coyote roadrunner? Who it was the coyote that used to run off the cliff and and his legs would go like that for a little while until he realised that there was no ground under him and dropped. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel when I'm doing comedy to um, no no faces and no sound. Maybe what they have to do is it's in America, obviously, is all the pickup trucks and the convertibles have to be in the front row. Maybe that's the yeah. easy way to do it because then at least you've got connection with people. People can get 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 in their get in their pickup trucks with their seats in the in the tray, watching it from there. Yeah, and it's not just about that's not about me being insecure that I don't know if my gear is funny or not. It's that I I think that um, the beauty of stand up is that it's a conversation between you and the audience. Mm -hmm. So if you take them them away, then I'm not having a conversation. I'm delivering a theatrical monologue and I would rather chew tinfoil. <laughs> um, I'm interested, and I've told this story to Jeremy, actually, your, your lovely other half. I don't know if he ever told you this, um, but you talked a bit about TV and doing TV in there, and I can, I can remember a really specific incident with you in television. Um, from nineteen eighty seven from nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Because I remember um it was the final of the Rugby World Cup and you were on what now in a French jersey. And you <laughs> and you went and, and I actually can't remember who your co host was at that moment, but I can remember you being in the French jersey and either yeah. you or he was like, Hey, A court, of course, I get it, it makes sense. It's always I don't know why, but that's always stuck with me that I've remembered I've got so that much moment. Shit for that. 
Did you? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, eighty-seven was um, Frank Flash and Danny Watson, and okay. um, I think Frank found it amusing, and Danny was appalled. And nobody thought it was a good idea apart from me. But yeah, my ancestry is French, so um, so I and I also I just it was just a little bit of that as well. <laughs> was, you know, there's so much. Um, so much all black, all black, all black stuff that I just wanted to go. There's another team. Yeah. And it's, you don't have to, you know, it's like, yeah, I felt like um, the country was bullying everybody and I just thought I might stick up for the other guys. Uh, yeah. Didn't necessarily, there was no, um, we didn't have email then or Twitter or any of those things, but I, I believe I got some letters. <laughs> Some some calls to the front like, desk. Some, some people put some stamps on envelopes. Some yeah, some yeah. notes some notes yeah, in the some, yeah God I'd forgotten that. Some notes in the logbook at TVNZ at the front desk. All right, team. There you go. As I said, uh, truncated quite a lot there at the end. Uh, we had a technical difficulty. We lost Michelle's connection. And so we didn't quite get to the end of the conversation. Although, to be honest with you, we were probably 10 to 15 minutes away from a natural wrap-up anyway. So pretty much a full podcast for you. We are the Department of Conversation brought to you by Stratus, the most affordable alternative to smoking. Find out about Stratus and how to get the product at Vaporium.nz. The Stratus pod kit is one of the most user-friendly, easy-to-use pods on the market. And in the pod, they have a little bit of nicotine. And the nicotine is to help people uh, stave off those, uh, you know, the the reliance on nicotine they get from cigarettes. So it helps them to get off cigarettes and then obviously moving towards getting off smoking altogether. The Stratus is available at Vaporium.nz. Right, that is episode number 99. Episode number 100 is in the pipeline. Uh, I'm not going to announce who it is just yet right now because there's still several different people lining up for it, and I'm not actually sure who it's going to be quite yet. But if you want to find out who it's going to be, if you want to get uh, notified on it uh, quickly, then you should head to either our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z, or you can head to um, the website, which is www.thedoc.nz. Another way you can find out is to just follow me. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram, just at Pat Britton, and it's an easy way to find me. And generally, all of those places will identify who is coming up in the next wee while. But probably the Facebook page is the best way and the quickest way to find out who's coming up next. Uh, Yeah, and thank you. If you're listening to this on iTunes, a rate and a review would be really helpful and really appreciated. It helps us with the algorithms and it helps us uh, get found by other people to listen to our product. And let me just say, through the lockdown period, we have been talking a little bit about um, supporting the podcast. We've been talking about Patreon. Obviously, we're getting some sponsors on board, that kind of thing. Now, the biggest thing you could do for us, if you like our product, is to tell other people about it, is to share it, is to say, this is a dude, this is a group making interesting content. No one says that all of our content is always going to be enjoyed by everyone. One of the strengths that we have is we make content with different kinds of people all the time, which means, by definition, People aren't going to be attracted to all of our content. But if you like what you've heard and you enjoy us in general, then share us. Tell other people about us. Be an advocate for us. That will help us grow. And in growth, we have uh, perhaps, I was going to say sustainability, but in growth, what we have is the ability uh, to aim for longevity. We're about to hit 100 podcasts. I'd like to still be talking to you at 1,000 podcasts. And for us to get to that point, We need growth. We want growth. You can help us with that. All right. 
Thanks anyway. Um, until we see you next time, stay safe. Uh, keep washing your hands, even coming out of these uh, into these lower levels of uh, lockdown and level alerts. Uh, let's keep this COVID at bay and keep it well away from us. Until we see you next time, stay safe. Hooray, my friends. 